Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. Look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells, maybe you're a smoker or someone else was, just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours, I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. Communism, communists, 
How many times have you heard me use words like that? Cultural Marxism. That can be a tough thing to swallow. As an American, as somebody on the right, somebody on the left, that can be a tough thing to swallow that that's what you're facing. But as we go over Black Lives Matter tonight, I want you to understand whatever we talk about, it does not come down to skin color. It doesn't come down to religion. It comes back to communism all the time. We're not talking about nationalities. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about communism. And why is it communism? Well, you have to understand what communism is. As you know, it's a religion of destruction and domination. That's what it always has been. But what is it really at its base? What is communism? No, it's not about classes or money or any of that other stuff. Communism is always, always this. You put me in power, and I promise I'll hurt the people you blame for your problems. That's what communism is. And what are they doing here in America? Why are they doing it? How are they doing it here in America? Well, here's what they're doing. They have a million different front groups that are specifically designed to pick at America's sensibilities. And what it does is it, it leaves them with multiple options to attack our institutions given with whatever one happens to be working at the time. Yes, the one right now is race, and we're going to go over Black Lives Matter and why that is. But understand this. If in the environment was hot right now, maybe we were having a lot of tornadoes and hurricanes and things like that, and the environment was hot right now, they'd just shove the Black Lives Matter people back into the corner, and they'd roll out the environmentalists to try to destroy our system with them. If, uh, God forbid, terrible things were happening to gay people all over the country right now, a bunch of assaults and murders and things like that, well, they'd tell the environmentalists, environmentalists all right, go, go sit down and shut up for a little while. We need to bring out the gay groups, and they'd bring out the gay groups, and then they would use them because that would be hot on America's sensibilities at the time. That's what they do. If we were having widespread assault of women and oppression of women, I mean real oppression, not like the fake oppression we have now, but real oppression of women in the country, they tell the gay groups, all right, you guys go sit back in the corner. We got to bring the women, we got to bring the feminists out now. Well, now the hot thing is race. Everything has to be about race. Race this, race that. America's racist, you're racist, she's racist. Black people are oppressed. Black people are unoppressed. If you what about the color of his skin or the color of her skin? Black, 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 black. Racist, racist, racist. And this is something uniquely powerful for them. That's why the Black Lives Matter group is at the forefront, simply because they're the one that's working. It's not because they're special. It's not because the, the, they actually care about the color of someone's skin. It's not because the people in power care about black people. They don't care about white people, black people, green people, Asian people, Indian people, Mexicans. They don't care about any of these people. They care about money and power. That's something else you have to understand. Whatever group gets brought to the forefront, yes, the leaders of that group will enjoy the spoils of being the charlatan with a bunch of dollars behind them. But in the end, they won't have any power either. Even as we talk about Black Lives Matter tonight, keep in mind, with all the money the leaders have made and whatnot, in the end, they're not going to have a seat at the table. They're not going to be sitting right next to Jeff Bezos and Joe Biden making actual decisions. No, it'll be, oh, pipe down and go away. You didn't think, you didn't, you didn't think we actually cared, did you? That's what they'll be told, because that's how it always works. Now, where did Black Lives Matter come from? Well, popped out in 2013 after the whole George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin thing. And who can possibly forget that situation? Another ugly situation that got blown up into something that, I mean, frankly, it shouldn't be. And we're not going to rehash the whole thing. You can take whatever side on that you want, but it should not have been what it was. But they looked at that situation and said to themselves, we can use this. We can do something with this. And at first, they came out. And because their ideology is so radical and so absurd, no popularity whatsoever. None. And then all of a sudden, in 2018, look at this. 2018, their popularity shot through the roof. Why is that? What changed? Well, I'll tell you what changed. And this is an uncomfortable conversation that we have to have. We've had it before. We'll have it again on the show. What changed was 
the system decided this is something we can use for our purposes and the system simply threw its weight behind it. When is the last time your kids turned on their video games and you saw a brand new customized page talking about Earth First or something like that? It's never happened. It's never happened. When is the last time you were scrolling through the channels and every other channel was something talking about feminists and feminism and this is why women are oppressed? It's never happened. You see, what happened with Black Lives Matter is the system realized this is the one. Of all of our communist front groups, this is the one that will lead us to the promised land. This is the one that goes after American sensibilities uniquely. Because we had slaves once in the United States of America, and America is a Christian nation, those two things combine, and it's easy to get people to feel guilty, even guilty about things that had nothing to do with. You didn't have anything to do with slavery. You didn't. But it picks at America's sensibilities. America's sensibilities are, and to, to our credit, we are all about the equality. We are all about you know, the, the, the individual and how great those things are. So what they did is they found a little crack and they wormed their way in it and they realized this Black Lives Matter is something we can use to destroy. The Democratic Party jumped all over this. Oh, absolutely. We can use this to gain power. All these major corporations looked at this and said, oh, yeah. Oh, we can use this to gain power. Hollywood, entertainers, musicians, athletes, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. They decided, oh, yeah, we can use this to gain power and wealth and influence for ourselves. That's what happened here. And look, what's their goal? What's the goal of this organization? You don't have to take my word for, for it. This is directly from the website that they've since scrubbed. Quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families in villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. They're just communists. That's where they got everybody. They picked at you and picked at you and picked at you and picked at American society and got everyone to think, wow, this is a group fighting for black people and, and justice and equality. They have nothing to do with justice and equality. In fact, I'm about to say something that's going to make people's heads explode, but it's 100% true. You know the KKK, right? Everybody knows the KKK. Horrible bunch of idiots. Virtually the same group as Black Lives Matter. A bunch of charlatans that led a bunch of idiots. But that doesn't matter. Do you know in their entire existence, the KKK killed, they estimate, we only have estimates because so many of these things were terrible and done in secret, but they estimate about 3,500 black people were killed by the KKK in, their entire, in the entirety of their existence. Do you know since Black Lives Matter got cops defunded, got cops out of poor black urban neighborhoods, that there's been an, uh, such an uptick in violent crime, we've seen about six thousand more people murdered than were murdered before that means any single way you slice it black lives matter is responsible for more black people being killed than the kkk that's what communism does they worm their way in using your sensibilities you don't want to be a racist do you they worm their way in and they destroy and don't take my word for it on the communism stuff. I'm floored when I get people. I'll even get friends of mine. They'll, they'll send me text messages. Jesse, why, why do you say communists? Not, these people aren't communists. What are you talking about? They're, they're racial activists or they're just Democrats. Why is everyone so naive? They're telling you they're communists. Here's their founder. Am I a Marxist? I'm a lot of things. I do believe in Marxism. It's a philosophy that I learned really early on in my organizing career. We were taught to learn about the systems that were criticizing capitalism. We were taught to understand why there were philosophies that were criticizing capitalism. Well, and that's not the only video out there like that. that that's what these people are. And you still have so many people, especially on our side, who won't see it. And you know why they won't see it? Either A, they don't want to look like a racist and openly oppose Black Lives Matter, or oftentimes B, they don't want to accept what it means 
that we have communist front groups right now who are only interested in the destruction of the United States of America. They're not interested in equality. They're not interested in police or defunding them. They're not interested in making lives better for a single black person except for themselves. They're interested in death and destruction. And that's what they've given us. That's what they've given us. Cities burning. People dying. People dying. You remember over the summer, I, I, look, there are a million of these cases, so I, I don't want to single this one out. Remember that seven-year-old girl in Atlanta killed? It's adorable seven-year-old girl. People are dying because of these communists. And before I get to something else, I do have to say, and this hurts, but it's 100% true. The GOP is partially responsible for this. Because when Black Lives Matter and Antifa began looting, burning, rioting, defunding police last year, you know what the GOP did? They hid under their beds. We can't, we can't say anything against Black Lives Matter. We'll, we'll look racist and like meany McMean faces. Let's go hide. If we have to say anything, just talk about Antifa. Don't, don't talk about Black Lives Matter. And the narrative got set. The narrative got said and Black Lives Matter, instead of being designated a domestic terrorist group, which they are, they have sponsorships. They have corporate sponsorships. Think about that. Think about that. And what kind of people are now rising because we didn't stem this tide early on? Well, here you go. We are powerful. We can get change if we want it. Let me tell you, the only reason this system, this capitalist system, remains intact is because the Democrats and Republicans are working together to maintain it. That's why I'm not an independent, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm a revolutionary! A revolutionary, huh? Capitalism, really a lot of anti-capitalism stuff. You noticing that? Here's from the BLM's official website. You remember that 13-year-old boy, Adam Toledo, who got shot? Quote, you all right? This is what the killer cop asked Adam Toledo after he shot him, 13 years old. No, we will never be all right with killer cops on the loose. Defund, defund the police, abolish that beep. Also, last year, Brooklyn Center PD was seen as a model for police reform in Minneapolis. This weekend, they killed Dante Wright. Remember, reform means more money for the killer cop industry that will never erase its origins out of slave patrols. Defund the police, then we abolish. Now, I want you to know something. And I want you to know this well because this matters very much to you. Because the system has decided Black Lives Matter is something they want to not only approve, they want to push, you're going to have to deal with this, confront this head-on, by name, in your home. Uh, in your home, your kids are going to ask about this. If they aren't asking, that's even a bigger problem. That means they're already believing. Maybe your wife, your husband, doesn't watch much of the news, only sees what they play out there. I've seen it in my own family. Well, they seem like a good group. And then I had to explain exactly what's going on, and you saw the light bulb go on, and, oh, wow, that doesn't seem like a good group at all. You are going to have to name this group and put them down because they are right now the leading communist organization in the United States of America. They are absurdly powerful. They are absurdly violent, and virtually the entire system is afraid to call that out because nobody wants to look like a racist. You had better be bold enough to withstand that absurd racist talk and call out communists when you see them. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. we got a great show for you tonight. We'll be back. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum. 
sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Well, she is the editor-at-large at Red State and host of Just Listen to Yourself, which I would highly recommend. Kira Davis joins me now. Kira... This LeBron James thing, it's not about the latest idiotic thing he put up, which obviously everybody saw. He points out the cop and that shooting and and says you're next. The LeBron James thing bothers me, and it bothers me a lot, not because I care specifically about LeBron James. It means nothing to me. It's because LeBron James is very popular and he is influential. I lament all the time the loss of our culture, of our musicians and actors and athletes, and we make this mistake on the right, and we say all the time these people don't matter. No, they do. They matter a lot. It sucks that they do, but they do. And LeBron James has the IQ of a potato, but he does matter. People listen when he talks, and he's always wrong and agitating. (laughs) I feel the same way. Like, I don't mind if athletes and actors, they're people too, believe it or not, and they have opinions, right? So I don't mind if they want to weigh in on what's going on in politics, and they're part of this country too. But I, they, you hear them say all the time, well, I just think I have the responsibility to use my platform. If I'm so blessed to have this platform, I should use it to be a responsible citizen and bring um, knowledge to this issue or that issue. Well, the same applies when you're about to destroy an average American's life. Like you have a huge platform. So you have the responsibility to not use it in a way that could actually bring harm to another person by exposing them as he did with this cop um, in a way, in an era when on social media, people go nuts over this stuff and hunt people down and go to their homes and punish their families. It was irresponsible, but you know what I think it is, Jesse, with LeBron? This is this is my running theory here. You tell me what you think. I think LeBron's problem is that he feels guilty. I think he feels guilty that he's extremely wealthy, that he has he's probably had to disconnect from his his home and his home situation um as he's grown more successful and wealthy. You know, he's not he's not out there in in the areas that he grew up in, but he wants to be a part of the community, he wants to be a part of what's going on. And I think he's working through a little bit of guilt of feeling like he's above it all. He can't go, he can't go to a protest. He can't go anywhere because he can't go anywhere without security. He's a huge celebrity. Being out in public is is a distraction at the best, could be dangerous at worst. I think he's just trying to work out some personal issues, trying to be somebody who is it can say I stand with the community even though he may feel quite disconnected from the community these days because of because of his station in life 
But what community? What community are we talking about, Kira? I don't disagree with you. Is it? Is that? Are you talking about the black community? Because I don't. I mean, maybe it's just because I don't look at the world like that. He's not part of a black community or white community. He's rich. Yeah, rich people live different than other people live. That's that's his community now. Is it? Am I missing something? No, I think this. I I do think you're missing something, and okay. it's not your fault. But I think that there is a. <sighs> There is a struggle that goes with being black in this country and being successful because a lot of times our communities aren't successful when we come out of communities that are poor and have and are struggling and there is this attitude of like when you when you when you are successful come back to the hood and do good so this is a struggle that we in the black community, we're still talking about. We have these internal discussions all the time. What does it mean to be black? If Where are you in your life? If you're wealthy, if you're, if you're poor, what does it mean for how you are in the black community? I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, Jesse, there is a piece of this that you're missing. And I don't know that that's not your fault. I just don't know that these are discussions that are, they're not being had outside the black community. We do talk about what does it mean to be black and be wealthy and successful and still have your hands in the community at its core. We're always having those discussions. Okay, well, fine, then let's have, what does it mean then? Because I always thought, I always thought, now granted, I'm not 13, I'm not 13% of the population, so I'm not a minority. So I don't know what it's like. I, I, I know that minority communities in the history of the world have had these kinds of talks and these kinds of things, especially when you make it out. It's not unique to the black community in America, but I, I always thought it was inspirational. Like that, I guess that's probably what frustrates, frustrates me specifically about LeBron James. You have somebody who came from a rough background. He's going to be a billionaire. I thought that's cool. Like, I don't look at that and think, man, that sucks. I wish I had it. I, I look at that and think, what an inspirational story. Why, why not stand up and say, work hard, go after something. You can succeed. You can do it like so many others do. Why take the opposite? This is actually, you're actually telling the story of my journey to conservatism. <laughs> I had a light bulb moment. Um, when I worked in Gary, Indiana, in the inner city, I was running an after-school program, and I was still pretty liberal. And um, I was having a conversation with my kids one day. It was about a dozen fifth graders, and we were. I was telling about a vacation I was going on to a certain place, and one of the girls said, "Miss Kira, you can't, you can't go there. That's where white people vacation." And I. It, that it was such a revelation because I realized at that moment that what I had been telling this girl was if you work hard, if you apply yourself, if you do your schoolwork, if you come here every day and get your, your, your mentoring and your guidance and your tutoring, you can beat the system. You can have whatever you want. You can be whatever you want in this country. But at the same time, I was also telling her, oh, the white man doesn't want you to have anything. You know, the system is against you. There's systemic racism. I was almost telling the kids that it was hopeless. It was at that very moment when I realized, what am I doing? I, I'm giving them mixed messages. I'm telling them that they should work hard so that they can get out of this dreadful place. And at the same time, I'm telling them when they work hard and earn a lot of money and finally do become successful after years and years of struggling, we're going to hate you <laughs> because you're you're too rich and you're too you're too successful. This is the this is the conundrum of Marxism, right? This is the conundrum of socialism. This is the conundrum of liberalism, which is uh, yes, we, we love a good success story, but we also hate a good success story. And that was when I knew that my messages weren't matching up and I really needed to reframe how I was thinking about the American dream. Well, I, I will say this. I, I, that's not unique to black people because that not that just the human condition, jealousy Absolutely. and envy? You're in, look, you're in this business too. You see it all over the place. I, look, I see it with my friends sometimes and I hate it because I'm happy when everyone succeeds. Oh, that's the show I should have got. That's the contract I should have got. That's the he's doing what I want to do so I'll ma get mad at him for it. That's just, that's human nature. That lobster in a bucket human nature thing. Well, that's what... Marxism is. Marxism is the gospel of envy. Envy. Socialism is the gospel of envy. So whether it's, uh, you know, we're having a conversation about the black community, and so that's why I'm framing it a, as a black issue. But it's not, you know, it's human nature issue. I could talk. I could have this same conversation about Eastern Europeans or Italians or you know or Indians. Like, 
everybody can have a version of this conversation. It's just pertinent to the black community now because these are the subjects that we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, th there is a huge issue with the gospel of envy and that's what socialism is. And that's why it doesn't work. And that's why um, liberalism cannot, ha cannot provide answers for the black community in America. And it cannot provide those answers because it, it will necessarily fold in on itself. Do you want people to work hard and get out of their circumstances? Or do you want people to, to stay where they are and blame other people all day long instead of, and then get angry at those people when they do become successful? And I, you know, they can't work together. They can't go together. Kira, my last question. I, I see America's cities specifically because of groups like Black Lives Matter. I see them in an absolute death spiral now, which, which and what I mean by that is, okay, so you have fewer jobs because the businesses are leaving, which leads to more poverty, more violence. You have fewer cops, which leads to more poverty, more violence, then fewer cops, which leads to more. And it, it, it's a never-ending cycle now downward where anybody who has any means to get out will get out. And these cities are going to become war zones, to which I get a lot of people say back to me, screw them, who cares? And I'll admit, part of me feels that way about the leadership, but part of me realizes there are poor people, whatever color they are, that their lives are going to be a living hell now, and there's no changing it. Am I wrong? Yeah, there's there's always room for change, but I, I definitely agree. I don't think that the... <laughs> I don't think that the that it should be a, oh well whatever happens to them who cares because this is part of our problem this is part of the problem that we're having with police brutality and all of the division about how we feel about this issue part of the problem is that we are not looking at each other as human beings so try not to assess the the images you see through the news cycle people you have to remember that these there are real people and I know you might look at pictures and you might be like well these people are just acting crazy I I don't want anything to do with them. I don't care what happens to them. But there's a lot of stuff going on on the ground that you don't see, that you don't understand. Look, my family came to here to California from Gary, Indiana, which was is one of the roughest cities in the country. And it, it it's it's got a terrible gang problem and terrible crime problem. But there were so many good people in that city and still are wonderful people, beautiful neighbors, people who care about edu education, people who care about supporting the police, people who care about cleaning up their communities and ending crime. And what's happened, there's been a whole bunch of people who have left that city who have said, you know what, they can just tear themselves apart. I don't care. They're a bunch of animals. And they've left the people who do care on the ground to solve the issues all by themselves. And then all, all that happens is we insult those people by pretending they don't exist or only wanting to highlight the awful parts of these cities when there are so many good people who are marching and protesting for the health of their own communities. So don't forget that for every idiot you see on a video, there's 10 more really good people there who just want to make their home work. And so um, I don't have any solutions for that, and I doubt this show is long enough to <laughs> parse all that out. It's, it's, gonna, it's a journey, but I don't think that we take any positive steps on the journey when we insult people for staying where they are or living where they are by telling them that they just don't matter, they, they just got what they deserve. There's a lot of people in our city centers that are getting much less and much more than they deserve. And as, a, as Americans, we can't That's forget, fact. they're out there too. That's fact. Kira Davis, you were the best. Thank you, ma'am. We'll be back. Newton Group Transfer, they are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. 
they tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I'm excited about this one. Joining me now is the senior editor-at-large and in-house counsel for Breitbart News, also the author of the book, Neither Free Nor Fair, Joel Pollack. Joel, um, I'm looking at a headline here from somebody you may know. Marxist Black Lives Matter co-founder bought four homes since 2016. Okay, these people are obviously grifting scumbags. We know that. How did they get that kind of money? Where did it come from? It's a very interesting question, and it's one that Black Lives Matter activists are raising themselves. But the co-founder in question, Patrice Khan Coulors, says that she earned her money from her book deals, her best-selling books, and from a content deal she has with Warner Brothers. She says that that's the bulk of her income. She only earned, I believe, $120,000 directly from Black Lives Matter. And that, she says, was for various fees. She hasn't drawn a salary, apparently, for the last few years from that organization. So she says she has independent sources of income. And I don't think there's reason to doubt that. Of course, the movement's activists are quite suspicious, and they would like to see the books audited, they would like to see an independent investigation. That's what Hawk Newsom, the BLM leader in New York, is demanding. The broader question is, what is Black Lives Matter doing with all of the money it's raising for the cause? It took in something like $100 million last year and apparently only spent Ooh. some small proportion of that. And many of the individuals who motivated the Black Lives Matter protests, some of the iconic families of the victims like Breonna Taylor and Michael Brown, those families, they're saying they haven't seen the money. And in fact, they're going further and saying that some of the local chapters of BLM are essentially scams. That's the term they use. So there are a lot of questions about how this money is being used. Now, Patrice Khan Coulors told an interviewer recently that BLM is not a charity, that people who are in need should go to the government and they should raise their voices for reparations for slavery. That's the right way to get money directly into the hands of people. BLM is about funding an organization, funding a movement. It's not about direct payments to people. However, that message didn't go over terribly well. Uh, some of this money, some of this money has to be from corporations, right, Joe? Or do I have that wrong? Because I know there was a period of time I couldn't flip through the channels and watch a cooking show without getting blasted in the face with a Black Lives Matter commercial of some kind. It was everywhere. Yes, that's correct. Corporations are donating to Black Lives Matter in a big way, and also wealthy individuals are doing so. The brand of Black Lives Matter is such that it is seen as a shield against wokeness. And of course, companies, executives are very interested in holding on to their own wealth. So they would like very much for Black Lives Matter to leave them alone. And so they pay them to go away and bother the government to redistribute everybody else's wealth. That's essentially the idea. However, it doesn't always work. Many of the companies that donated to Black Lives Matter still found themselves nonetheless as the targets of looting in recent riots. Foot Locker, I believe, Nike, other stores were looted in recent riots over officer-involved shootings in various parts of the country. So for the individual franchise owners or the individual locations, maybe not a winning strategy. It doesn't seem that the Black Lives Matter mobs, at least, those who come out to loot when the protest happens, it doesn't seem they care about a company's track record in terms of donating to the cause. Joel, so why do they keep doing it? Is it just because corporate America is run by a bunch of commies who've been educated in America's communist education system? Is it really that simple? Because you're right, I've never once seen one of these companies be spared an outrage or a good old-fashioned looting because they made a donation. If it doesn't do you any good, why do it? So you are correct that one of the big reasons this happens is that the current generation of corporate leaders has been educated at elite universities where... This is the dogma 
the 60s radicals went into teaching and they trained the next generation of Gen Xers and millennials who are now making it into the senior ranks of management at a lot of these corporations and have been drilled in the idea that capitalism is inherently bad. And it's almost a form of public penance to pay homage or pay cash to Black Lives Matter and to Marxism in general. But there's also a kind of political sickness, I think, that's creeping in here. And we see it in other countries. We've seen it around the world as democratic countries have tried to deal with threats from totalitarian ideologies. And that is they try to be the last dog to be eaten or the last to be fed to the crocodile in the hope that the crocodile's appetite will be satiated with someone else. So corporate America is perfectly willing to throw the rest of America under the bus. They're willing to throw the small businesses. They were willing to throw uh, the Republican Party. They're willing to throw other people under the bus as long as they believe or can convince themselves that the left, the totalitarian left, will be satisfied with those sacrifices. Of course, they never are, and they keep coming for more. But that is the collective irrationality of this kind of totalitarian thinking. There's a kind of moral panic right now, and there are very few Americans willing to stand up and defend basic values. You know, the White House has been saying that everyone knows there's a history of systemic racism. Our UN ambassador is out there saying that the founding documents and principles of this country are infused with white supremacy. That's not how Frederick Douglass saw the founding documents and principles. He said that the principles of the Declaration of Independence were the key to saving this country. And, and likewise with Martin Luther King Jr., he also said that one day we are going to live up to that ideal. And this administration responding to the cancel culture, to BLM, is saying that the founding principles of this country are inherently rotten. So they've really turned away. And the issue isn't that people believe that what they're saying is true. The point of totalitarianism isn't necessarily to convince you that what the totalitarians believe is correct. The point of totalitarian ideology and propaganda is to make every other idea seem unthinkable. So if you dare to stand up for basic principles that everybody took for granted publicly as recently as a few years ago, you are hounded out, you are canceled, pressured, and so forth. And, and that's why there's this panic. There just aren't enough people. There's no critical mass of people standing up to the mob. Joel Pollock, that was absolutely outstanding. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate you. Thank you, and thanks for the work you do. We'll be back. Well, when I say they're trying to teach your kids these radical things, I really mean they're trying to teach your kids these radical things. If you don't believe that there is white privilege, please don't teach. If you don't believe that black lives matter, please don't teach. If you don't believe in systemic racism and how it negatively impacts our students of color and don't want to help dismantle those systems, please don't teach. <laughs> Joining me now to talk about maybe the most cringeworthy video I've ever seen in my life and several other things is the great Charles Love of the Charles Love Show. Charles, I don't know if you can die from cringing, but if you can, I may not make it out of this TV show tonight. Well, you know, I got to say, I don't want to dismantle those systemic uh, things they talk about, but that was one catchy tune. I'm reconsidering it now. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. I, 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 Charles, explain to, I'm trying to explain to people that our differences right now in this, in this country, they're not skin color. We have the powerful people making us peasants squabble with each other while they amass more wealth and more power for themselves, and nobody cares about any of us. None of these people in power actually care about any of us, black people, white people, anything. They care about making themselves rich and getting more power, and that's what we're seeing, and they have the whole country focused on the wrong stuff. Man, that was bad, but it's really worse than that, because for eons, People in power wanted more power. Rich people have wanted more money. That's not new. But this progressive racism, as I call it, this race push is detrimental to both the people they're trying to help, even if you give them their argument, but everyone. It makes no sense. It's immoral. It's contrary to the Civil Rights Act. 
And it should be shocking to people that so many people are buying into it and being overly emotional. And that video clip you showed is a great point because it also points out the fact that most of the loudest voices who are going to fix this are the very people calling themselves racist. Charles, I, I understand an anti-cop sentiment. I understand it, frankly, from anybody because cops are there to enforce the law. And of course, there are bad ones and good ones and whatnot. But being anti-cop, I get I'm not, but I get it. I mean, he's the guy who makes you turn in your homework in school. Nobody wants to be, you know, that guy. So I get that. What I don't understand is the defund the police movement catching on the way it has. When we already have the data, it's not like we, not like we have to wait for the data. 6,000 more homicides already since the defund the police movement started. We know this gets people killed. So why is it still popular? Well, hey, they say it's a great trade-off because at least they, according to these numbers of that report, that they cut police shootings by 300. So, hey, who cares about the other, you know, oh. 5,700 people that died? But as you're right, but it's even worse than that. And the reason I wrote my book, Race Crazy, is to point this out clearly so people who are kind of center-left and, and have the problems and people think like what you just said, you know, I see why you have concerns about police and you want things fixed to understand what they really want. They do not want to defund. They openly say they want to abolish, right? So defunding the police as bad as it is is far different from just let's not have them. So it, it makes no sense. And, and, and let's be real. They know it because if you look at the cities who pushed it, they had to walk it back. They're creative about the way they say it. But L.A., oh, we're going to fund $36 million into the police department. You mean after you took some money? Minnesota played around with not paying numbers, but really they meant not paying for overtime and vacation, and then they paid it anyway. New York just put 500 to 1,000 extra police officers on the subway streets. Are they working pro bono? Where'd they come from? So obviously, you know you can't defund them. But hey, it gets you votes, and it, it creates angst, and it gets people to be riled up, and that's what they want. When, when you're looking at the shiny object over here, you don't notice what they're doing, the laws that they're passing, the money that they're taking, the power that they're consuming. So it works for them. Charles, why does it get them votes? Because look, I, I, I pride myself on being right about a lot of things. Even if I'm not, I just ignore most of that. But I pride myself on being right about a lot of things. And I convinced myself, and I got on camera and told people, this, this anarchy from Antifa and Black Lives Matter before the election was going to cost Joe Biden the election because the country was going to look at it and they were going to reject it and go to the polls and, and reelect Donald Trump. I was dead wrong. I, I, I don't think it's costing them votes at all. And apparently it doesn't. Well, you're only part wrong. Um, you're not wrong that people will reject it. Where we as conservatives fail is our communication of getting people the point. That's why uh, I changed my target audience about a year ago. And I, I do two, two things. I train conservatives on how to talk to more people. And I talk to the center-left center people to say, we can argue on politics and policy later, but if we don't win this cultural fight, none of that will matter. It won't matter if your guy or my guy is in the White House because we're losing all common sense, context, truth, and morals, right? So that's the problem. It's like if you say things that are true, but only conservatives would get the way you say it, then you're losing a large percentage of people. And, and, and the fortunate light at the end of the tunnel is that there are a lot of left-leaning peop left people who are getting this because the mob is coming for them. They don't like the cancel culture. They, for the most part, believe in free speech. And they don't think that the way this stuff is going, you know, labeling every single person, even your allies, racist, is a good thing to do. So they're there. We just need to learn to talk to them. So I don't think that what Joe Biden did, I think you're right that it would have cost them votes and people aren't buying into it, but most people either aren't paying attention to it or, let's be honest, the left controls the narrative. They have the media, they make the movies and the TVs that skew things. So it's fun to beat up on people who, who have traditional values. So... If you're not paying attention and you're the average American just trying to get your paycheck and raise your family and you don't know, if we don't communicate this thing to them properly, they, they, they're not agreeing to it. They're just not paying attention. Charles, what is a mistake we on? I, I mean, a mistake or mistakes. What are the biggest mistakes we on the right make, do make that you see when we are trying to communicate? Things you see where you go, ooh, oh, that's not going to land right. Oh, I'm going to give you a great example because you've heard it a lot. Black on black crime. Why? Why are you bringing that up? What's the point? You know, one, it doesn't matter if the facts and the numbers are on your side. You're right. No one wants to hear it 
When the time I'm mad because the cop shot somebody and you talk about that, I'm either going to say you're deflecting, I'm going to call you a racist or whatever. Whether it's true or not, they're not listening now. They've just got their ears covered up. So what you should say is what I tend to do is I give them a more nuanced version of the same thing. I don't say black on black crime, almost never. What I will say, though, is I am concerned with how much effort and energy and emotion you're putting into the death of one person. Invest every police shoot, investigate every police shooting. But you put so much energy in that one shooting, but you say nothing about human trafficking. You say nothing about, you know, all the crime, the people, the, the increasing number of just open attacks on people on the street in major cities, the burning, the looting, and that kind of stuff, you say nothing about that. You say nothing about what they're doing to our kids in school, how people are graduating high school with fake diplomas, but they cannot read, and they've been doing it for 20 or 30 years. So there's a lot of things that are, this moral decline that's happening that you don't agree with, but you don't say a word about it. So the fact that you're spending so much energy on that and not fixing what would help the greater number of people is where we should be focused. Charles Love, thank you so much. Come back soon, man. I appreciate it. We're not quite done yet. We'll be back. Be bold. If there's anything you can take away from this tonight is do not be afraid to name the problem, name the bad groups, and don't name them in a way that you're concerned what they're going to say about you. Forget about that. You speak gold, bold, bold truth at all times. We don't have time to tiptoe around things anymore. We are fighting communism, and it is deadly serious. All right. We'll do it again sometime. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.